Did you notice the, the fourfold call to praise there? Verse 1, praise the Lord. Verse 7, sing to the Lord. Verse 12, extol the Lord. And then concluding, praise the Lord. This is in the final group of psalms that begin and end. Praise the Lord. It's the, the climactic hallelujah at the end of the book of psalms. Hallelujah, just meaning praise the Lord. Sing praise to God. And so we might read a psalm like this, and we might wonder, well, does that reflect my heart? A heart of praise and worship to God. I wonder if you're, if you're a Christian here this morning and you were to sort of, sort of, sort of rate, rate things from sort of very little praise to perhaps quite a lot of praise, where, where you'd put yourself on the spectrum Perhaps you're here looking into the Christian faith and you're you're kind of thinking, I mean, people sing at football grounds, but other than that, I don't hear people singing like this. What's, What's with these people that they behave like this and sing and praise and worship in this way? And this psalm is going to show us. For Christians, it's going to help us praise more. If you're looking into the Christian faith, I hope this will give you a window into why Christians... Get excited about God. And I'm aware the week it's been, I I feel very conscious as someone not from this city coming to a city that's been through a lot. Perhaps that, that might be hitting some here particularly hard. And as we think about praise, of course, circumstances, both things we read in the news, but perhaps personal circumstances for some of us. Those circumstances might press in and perhaps praise might actually feel quite far from our hearts and lips. Well, this psalm is a praise psalm, but really, it's a let me show you the character and greatness of God psalm. I want you to imagine a, um, a, a young child a young child on their birthday, and um, uh, the, the parents have got, have got a surprise. Let, let's take a, a, seven year, a little seven-year-old girl. The parents have, parents have prepared a surprise. They've got a, a, a new bike with tassels and bells, and, and, and so they've, they've, bought a, they've bought a bike for this, for this young girl for her birthday. And, um, and so they say, well, it's a, she doesn't know what's, what's happening. This is going to be a surprise. So they say to her, okay, your birthday. Just, just sit there. close your eyes. We're going to get your present ready. Close your eyes. And so this girl closes her eyes and tries not to peep. And they, and they wheel the bike in, tassels and all, and it's wrapped up and it's got a bow. And, and then they say to the young girl, open your eyes. And she opens her eyes and sees, and sees the present. When the parents say, open your eyes, is that a, is that a burdensome command? Is, is that a difficult thing? Is that, a, oh, mum, you're always going on at me. Do this, do that. It's happening again. Open your eyes. Why? I don't want to. No, it's not a burdensome thing to open your eyes to see the wonder of what's been prepared for you. I think that's how we're to hear, praise the Lord. Not, oh, no, something else to do. Rather, open your eyes to... Dare I say it, something better than a bike with sparkles and tassels. Open your eyes to the wonder and greatness of God. 
You see, when we're thinking about our praise, in a sense, I've been a bit cheeky because that's not really a good question. Because the problem is that might cause us to look within and think, oh, on a scale of one to ten, I'm probably a three. I should at least be moving towards a seven. And it might, it might push us to look within and think, I need to be more of a praising person. I need to be more of a worshipping person. But it's really interesting. This psalm doesn't do that. This psalm says, no, praise the Lord, look up. The psalmist says, let me, let me paint a picture of God so that your heart might be lifted in praise. So that's my prayer this morning, that as we spend some time looking at the character and majesty of God as set out in this psalm, actually the result might be that we do feel our hearts lifted to him. If you're looking into the Christian faith and wondering why do Christians behave like they do, why do people gather in church like this, what is it about these people that they do this thing? Again, I want to suggest that's not the right question. It's not It's not this group of people here. It's the God that this group of people are excited about. That's where to look. He's the one who causes praise and worship. And actually, people to do crazy things like say, I'm going to follow him and make big life decisions based on him because of who he is. So let's let's spend some time exploring, delighting in his character from this psalm. You see, verse 1, Praise the Lord, how good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise him. It could, all, could also be translated, not just it's good to praise, but he is good or he is beautiful. The reason praise is such a good thing, just celebrating God is because of who he is. And let's look at who he is. Verse 2, the Lord builds up Jerusalem, gathers the exiles of Israel. The Lord is a God who brings his people home. You might know Jerusalem was sort of the center of where God's people, uh, in ancient Israel, God's people dwelt and God dwelt with them. But when they, when they sinned, they were, they were cast out of the land. They were, they were in exile, far from God, far from hope. But what sort of God does the Bible celebrate? A God who loves to bring people home. And that's not just something he did back then, gather the exiles of Israel. Perhaps we might feel that actually we have wandered and strayed from God. Maybe maybe our sin we feel, we've just been, we've been wandering. And we maybe think, maybe the things I've done, that's just put a distance between me and God. And I can't make it back. The Lord gathers the exiles of Israel. He's a God who loves to bring his children home. We we don't need to worry about coming back to this God wondering, is is there a welcome? Could this God accept me given what I've done, given what's been done to me? Could, Could this God accept me? The good news for every single person in this room is that yes, God can accept you. God can welcome and bring you home. He's the God who goes out to gather people. In Jesus, God God went out from heaven to, to gather people home. 
He's a God who loves to bring people home. And I love the reception we get when we arrive. You see, we might think, okay, God, God, God brings people home, but when, when wayward people come back to him, is he, is he waiting there with a stern telling off? Is he waiting there with a stick to beat us? Or maybe just that, just that kind of slightly passive-aggressive disappointment. I wonder how you think God feels about you right now. I can certainly have moments where I feel God's probably just, well, either, either doesn't really know who I am, or if he does, he's probably disappointed and frustrated. I'm sure I'm not the only one that ever has such, such a sort of mental narrative. But the Lord who gathers his people home, gathers his people home so that he can heal the brokenhearted, so that he can bind up their wounds. If you're looking into the Christian faith, you're investigating the God of the Bible. What sort of God do Christians worship? A God who loves to bring people home, to heal broken hearts, and to bind up wounds. And I don't know the wounds that people have here today. I know very few people in this room. I know some of what's happened in this city, but there'll be all sorts of wounds. And whilst I don't know the situations you're facing, I do know, I have the privilege to herald, to proclaim a God who not just binds up wounds, but, but delights to bind up wounds. A God who loves to heal broken hearts, a God of such tenderness and compassion. And maybe you're thinking, well, yes, of course, but, 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 I mean, but not for me. No, this is what God is like. None of us are so far gone. And so maybe for some of us, that's what we need to hear this morning. Maybe that's the one thing to take away, just to lift our eyes to the character of God, a God who welcomes people home, who binds up wounds. Interesting, if he's going to bind up our wounds, it means he knows where those wounds are. Maybe other people don't. Maybe we've hidden them quite well, but he knows those pressure points. He knows those frailties, and he doesn't exploit them. He binds them up, and he heals broken hearts. And I've, I've been praying these verses this week, as I've seen events in the news and I've been praying. We can, it's wonderful. We can pray the promises of God back to him. We can say, Lord, do your work of healing broken hearts. Do your work of binding up wounds because that's the sort of God you are. He's a gatherer. He's a binder up of wounds. But then look at verse 4. He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord, mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. The Lord sustains the humble but casts the wicked to the ground. If we're sort of visualizing this, we have the camera is zoomed in as close as it could be. We have the Lord sort of at the bedside of a sick person, just tenderly binding up wounds. And actually, isn't that what we saw Jesus do his entire ministry? This, this close personal attention 
And then the camera zooms out and we remember this is the God who made a thousand stars. This is God who named all the stars. Countless billions of stars. I think I remember working out if all the people who had ever lived in history spent their life naming stars at one star per second, we would, get, we would still be like a tenth of the way. All the people in history spent their entire life doing nothing but saying, Taurus, Ursula Major, Kevin, and just naming stars. We would, we, like, the Lord knows the stars by name, and the psalmist is saying, a God of this much majesty. That doesn't mean he's distant. It means if he knows the stars... How much more does he know and care for you? Cornerstone Church, you are worth more to the Lord than a million stars. And if he knows and cares for them, how much more does he care for you? So verse 7, sing to the Lord with grateful praise. Make music to our God on the harp. Maybe just a moment to just reflect on some of what we've seen maybe just to sit with the Lord and enjoy some of these images just for 30 seconds Well, verse 7, we, we sort of get, concluding that section, then this new section, sings that, again, more reasons to praise. Again, not look within, not, not rummage around inside ourselves for reasons to praise God, but look up to God. We've seen him as the, the gatherer, the bind-up of wounds, the star-namer. Now we see him as the abundant provider. The psalmist looks at creation and sees the Lord at work providing. Covers the sky with clouds, supplies the earth with rain, Grass on the hills, food for the cattle, for the young ravens when they call. This is a God of sufficiency and abundancy. He is provider. And that explains verses 10 and 11. If, if, if the God that we worship is a God who is the creator, the sustainer of all things, he is completely self-sufficient. Well, that means his pleasure is not in the strength of the horse or the legs of the warrior. I think these are sort of pictures of human strength. God doesn't need our war horses. God doesn't need our own might to achieve his purposes. He's the one who determines all things, makes the grass grow on a thousand hills. And that's actually a wonderfully liberating truth that God doesn't need us. God doesn't need us. God is all sufficient. He's the provider. And so he doesn't need strong people. He doesn't need mighty institutions. He doesn't need great churches. Actually, he delights in those who fear him, those who see him as God and recognize they are just just mere mortals. There are no great ones in the kingdom of God. 
It's a liberating truth, but it's a humbling truth as well, perhaps, particularly if we sort of think, but I'm pretty great, actually. Maybe I've got certain things going for me in my background. Maybe I've got a certain level of education. Maybe I've got a certain level of Christian maturity. Maybe I've got things that make me feel like I've probably got quite a lot to contribute to this team, and therefore maybe I'm, I'm a key player. And not just people, but institutions, we might think the same. But the Lord doesn't need Cornerstone Church. The Lord doesn't need any of the ministries here. The Lord doesn't actually need any of you. The Lord doesn't need me or the church I worship at in Oxford because he's the abundant provider. And that's not a depressing truth. That's a liberating truth because it's, he doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. Do you see the difference? It's kind of the, it's the, 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 ch- the, the child being being taken to work, the little boy who, who gets told, you, you, you can come to, we've got to take your kids to work day. And so he, go, he goes with mum to work. And she, let, she lets him, I mean, this probably doesn't happen, but she, she lets him drive the forklift or at least sit there on the seat. I mean, parents, don't let your children drive the forklift. But, but she, she, she's there driving the forklift, but he's there sitting next to her. And the point is not that he goes, oh my goodness, what responsibility? This is a nightmare. Imagine if I crash. This is the worst thing ever. This is so stressful. No, she's got this. She's a forklift driver. She knows what she's doing. But he gets to be along and gets to be part of it. So it is with the kingdom of God. We're not there to think, oh my goodness, this is the most stressful thing in the world ever. How can we... How can we ever achieve God's purposes in this world? I just, I just, I'm just terrified. No, God has got this. But he says to us, come and, join, come and join in. You get to be part of this. It's bring your kids to work day. I'm going to use you. And when it goes wrong, don't worry. I'm, I'm not going to let you crash. The Lord is the abundant provider. He doesn't need our strength. He doesn't need our programs. He doesn't need our churches. He doesn't need our books. He doesn't need any of these things. But he chooses to use us. And Here's the wonderful side of it. If there are no great ones in the kingdom of heaven, also there are no little ones. There are no little people in the kingdom of heaven. And I don't know who among us might feel like, maybe we've been made to feel like little people. Made to feel like something in our health, ability, circumstances, background, tricky relationship situation, whatever it might be, something that makes us feel we have nothing to contribute or we have less to contribute than others compared to those who sort of have it easy, who don't have massive debt and therefore don't need to work as long hours and therefore can seem like such a keener Christian than I am when I'm actually trying to support my family members, whatever it might be. No, there are no little people in the kingdom of God. There are no people whose health, whether it be physical health or mental health, or age, rules them out of being vital, useful, treasured in the kingdom of God. And, I mean, this is a place the church can can and should be gloriously distinctive, isn't it? 
in a society that so often champions those of high ability and high academic expertise and, and those with energy. And if you haven't got those things, well, perhaps you're seen as less valuable to society. Not with our God. What liberating truth. He's the all-sufficient provider. He doesn't need our strength. What does he want? Verse 11. He delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. And so let me just speak particularly to those who've maybe felt ruled out of service in the kingdom of God because of, well, I don't know what it is for you. But maybe there's something that you feel that oh, can't be me because, because of this situation or issue or hear these words. The Lord's pleasure is not in the strength of the person sitting next to you. It's not in the preaching ability of the person who stands up the front. The Lord's delight is in those who fear him. I think fear here is not be afraid of him, but, but see him as God, the all-sufficient provider, and sees us as well, creatures. Small, but treasured and dearly loved. And he put their hope in his unfailing love. There are no great ones in the kingdom of God. As someone who speaks at the front of churches, I need to hear that. There are little ones in the kingdom of God. Maybe some of us here need to, need to hear that. And I, this is one of the reasons I love Jesus. I love serving someone like this who doesn't value the strong more than the weak. That's a leader I can get excited about. Finally, more briefly, the, fi the final section, again, a call to praise. We'll move more, more briefly. It's, it, it's a long psalm, but, but verse 12, extol the Lord Jerusalem. Here are more reasons to praise your God. And and Jerusalem and Zion, this is speaking about the, sort of the city in ancient Israel, but, but these words can be applied to the church. God who cares for this city in ancient Israel, where his people dwelt, God who cares for his church, God who builds up his church, he strengthens the bars of your gates. Back then, for Jerusalem to be secure, the gates needed to be secure so enemies wouldn't overwhelm them. We don't face physical enemies in the same way, but the Lord strengthens his church. Remember Jesus' words, I will build my church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. We can feel so frail sometimes as a church. But the Lord, the Lord is the one who strengthens us. It's not our own strength, it's his strength. He blesses your people within you. The church is a place of blessing, of knowing God's goodness. Part of that is, of course, each other, as we, as we relate to each other, as we, as we minister to one another. He grants peace to your borders. Church is a place of peace. That, that, wonderful, that wonderful picture in Ephesians, as, as the barrier between us and God is broken down, actually the barriers between Different groups of people are broken down. And how wonderful when, when church is a place when people of different ages 
and backgrounds and cultures and nationalities and interests are all united together, all valued equally. In one sense, it's just the outworking of what we've seen. We're, we're all creatures made in the image of God. And so how wonderful when, of course, imperfectly in this world. And, of course, something we need to keep striving for, to break down these walls of division and mistrust and, and whatever else it might be, but, but how people are united together in church, a place of peace. What a glorious thing that is, foreshadowing that final day when people from every tribe and language will be together, worshipping Jesus Christ. And he satisfies you with the finest of wheat. The church is a place of being satisfied, satisfied in Christ. Remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? 5,000 people in that, in that wilderness desert place, just five loaves and two fish, but Jesus provides food for everyone. They each ate and they were satisfied. And I think that's, at this point, far more than just food. I think it's picturing when you come to Jesus, you don't leave disappointed. When you come to Jesus, you don't leave disappointed. He satisfies us. He is, he is the food that our souls need. And if you're looking into the Christian faith, this is the place to look. Look at Jesus. If you've been brought here by a friend, ask your friend. I mean, here's a great question for all of us to answer. Ask your friend, what excites you most about Jesus? If you're a Christian, I hope... I hope you've got something you might say to that. Maybe, maybe if not, have a ponder. Maybe this psalm might point you to some things. Jesus. You know how when you meet some people, you, they always say, don't meet your idols, don't they? I'm not sure I've ever met anyone that I sort of really, really kind of, um, kind of revere, but, you know, whether it be a musician or a, or a sports star, or who, you, know, you know, they say, don't meet your idols, because often when you meet them, actually, you're disappointed. The, the reality is so much less than our expectation. With Jesus, the opposite is true. With Jesus, the reality is so much more. We don't come away disappointed. Maybe remember the Queen of Sheba when she, she came to visit Solomon and his kingdom. She was a rich queen. She was a splendid queen. She came to Solomon's kingdom. And she, she meets him and she's blown away and she says, do you know what? The half of this hasn't been told to me. And she came bringing gifts, but she went away with even more. And I think there's a picture there. When we come to Jesus, we are satisfied. We don't come away thinking, Jesus is okay. The reality is greater. Actually, this is a leader who will never have to step down because things come out. You know, those photos come out, that video comes out, and we suddenly find out what they're really like, and the resignation gets in quickly. How glorious it with Jesus. The further we look, the deeper we dig, the more we see of justice and mercy and compassion and goodness and integrity. The final... The final section speaks of, speaks of the Lord's governing of all creation. I first preached this psalm on a very wintry day, and it felt, felt more easy to apply these words. But the psalmist looks at all of creation. 
snow, frost, hail, wind, and says this is all in the Lord's hands. The psalmist has a big view of God. Maybe we look out the window and don't say, oh, it's sunny today. We might say, the Lord's giving sun today. The psalmist sees the Lord actively at work in all areas of life. The rain comes, we say, oh, the Lord's sending rain. But this, this big picture of God and his greatness. And so as we conclude, hear those words, praise the Lord. But remember, that's not a call to look within ourselves. That's not a call to rummage around trying to find praise and worship. Praise the Lord. Remember that girl on her seventh birthday? Open your eyes. That girl doesn't need to be told to be excited. She gets told to open her eyes. She sees the presence. She sees the love of her parents, what they prepared for her. And she probably shouts and screams and runs around the room in joy. The psalmist says, similarly, open your eyes to God and who he is. If your heart is a little bit cold towards the Lord, and I guess you've been a Christian any length of time as I have, you'll have moments like that. The psalmist will say, look up to him. Join in with others singing the Lord's praise. How good it is to sing the praise of God, not because praise itself is wonderful, because it points us to him and reminds us of our God, who's the one who gathers well gathers people home who binds up wounds names the stars who provides for all things this is a god worth praising let me pray heavenly father thank you for this picture of your not just your majesty and your power but also your character your kindness, your generosity and compassion. And so we pray for all of us. We pray for Christians here today. Would our eyes be opened afresh to your glory? Glory, of course, we know made known supremely in Jesus. Would our hearts be full of him? And Lord, we pray for those here still thinking about the Christian faith. We ask that you would open their eyes as well to your goodness to see you not as a distant distant disciplinarian in the sky but a God of this kind of goodness and greatness and we pray these things in Jesus name Amen